0: Amen. It's a wonderful thing whenever someone realizes, when Christians realize finally that Jesus freed us, not just from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of it. And so we can live free in Christ Jesus and live uh, free from the bondage of sin. is a wonderful truth. As we look this morning and we continue with our thought of discipleship. Uh, We've talked about what a disciple is over the last few weeks. We've talked about uh, many of the the character traits of a disciple, the defining traits of a disciple. We've looked at how Jesus chose uh, some of the disciples and the ministry that he uh, laid out. And what's unique about every person that Jesus approached in the Gospels and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. uh, Every one of them had to make a decision. And so we have to make a decision to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. But beyond that, we also must make each one of us a decision as to how much of ourselves and our lives we're going to give to Him. How much influence and impact are we going to allow that decision to have on our souls, on what we do, on how we think, on what our values are? And Jesus did not save us from sin's power just simply for us to exist, but rather that He might use us. It's interesting, and just by way of review, and we stated this over the last couple of weeks, that Jesus told them from the very moment that He called them what He was calling them for. From the very beginning, whenever He comes to them, He is stating to them, If you follow Me, then I am going to commission you to reach others. The Great Commission is not something that comes about at the end of Matthew and Mark in the early stages of Acts. It was given from the very moment that a disciple was chosen. He told them exactly what was expected, what he was going to teach them, what he was going to train them to become, how he was going to invest in their lives. In other words, he was saying to them, if you follow me, I will make you. You cannot make yourself. You cannot simply choose to become. You must submit yourself and surrender your heart to me and allow me to mold you into what I would have you to become. But we all have to come to a place where we're willing to make that surrender. Paul refers to this in Romans 12 when he says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Jesus gave himself a blood sacrifice, the final atonement for man's sin on Calvary's cross. And he says, in exchange, what I desire from you is that you would give me your life as a living sacrifice. That's a pretty fair exchange. He had to give up his life to save us. He only asked that we give our lives for him in sacrifice to follow His plan for our life, to, to fulfill the purpose for which each individual one of us was created. Now, as we look this morning in Isaiah, in chapter number 28, what's taking place here is that uh, the people are, are, are be- he is predicting coming judgment, and that judgment is going to manifest itself in the form of a, an invasion from Assyria and a captivity of the people of Israel uh, by the Assyrians. And Ephraim, in particular, in the northern area, he also warns those in Jerusalem. He lays out here uh, this impending doom, and he lays out the mindset of the captivity and those uh, that are being capt- uh, taken captive as well. Uh, and it's what you see across every generation and every... We talk a lot about uh, the, the state of our culture today. We make a lot of comparisons to that. But the reality is, is that there is no new thing under the sun. The very same tactics that Satan employs today are the same ones that he's been employing for the last 6,000 years. There's nothing new about what we're facing today. It looks a little different uh, because... Technology has changed. It looks a little different because the way that people think changes over time. But it's all the same thing. When you get right down to it, he is just simply going to take the truth of God and distort it, uh, counterfeit it. Uh, and then he's going to seek to deceive the people of God into believing that if we just do, we basically go along with what is going on in the world, then everyone's going to be okay. He lays that out here. And he tells them, uh, when we were looking in verses 9 down through about 13, uh, that as God lays out the warning, he said, listen, I'm speaking to you truth, line upon line, Precept upon precept. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not leaving anything to the imagination. I'm not putting out any gray area here. This is what I am. This is who I am. This is what I require. And if you do not accept me, then this will be the consequence. And so he's made it clear. And so we look here and then we come to, uh, really this section in, uh, beginning in verse, uh, 14. Wherefore hear ye, or hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people, which is in Jerusalem. So the rulers of the people are scornful men. That certainly is true today. That's, uh, that has, uh, been true for all generations before. Uh, When scornful men are in rule, there will be problems. And he said, because ye have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. That's not hard to see. Watch the news for about five minutes this afternoon, and you will see that on full display. There's a group that they stand up, and they think that just because they say it, that makes it so. And that's just not simply, it's not true. And so when we look at this and we look at the mindset behind it, we look at the heart behind it, what he's demonstrating here is that the the leaders here and those that are in charge here and those that are deciding what they're going to do here have made this, have justified in their own heart and their own mind uh, that, that they are in a covenant with death. In other words, because I believe, and this is a rampant in our thinking today, that I believe that if I believe with all my heart what I believe, then that's true for me. But the reality is, is that there's not a multitude of truths from which we can choose. There is one truth. Amen. There is one absolute, infallible, all-powerful truth, and His name is Jesus. Amen. There's not anything that can change that. There's not anyone uh, that, can be- that believes something else that will not, in the end, come to the understanding that He is the only way. He said it plainly. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto me but by the Father. But pastor, how can the whole world be wrong if we just say everybody can't be wrong? May I remind you that in the gospel he told us that broad is the way, and wide is the the way, broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way to truth, and few there be that find it. And what we have to understand is, listen, if I'm looking out, and I read that and understand the scripture correctly, if the whole world is marching toward it, then I need to go the opposite direction. I mean, we look at it in our our man's way of thinking. Not everyone can't be wrong. Let's just go with the flow of the crowd and we'll be safe. And the opposite is true. And we have to come to the realization as he lays out here this warning. And then he says for us here, listen, I have given you truth. Notice in verse 16, therefore, thus saith the Lord. What's he talking about here? He's saying because you have made a covenant with death and because you're in agreement with hell and because you think that when you pass through it, it's not going to happen to you because you've made lies your refuge. You've, you believe your own lies, as in essence, he's saying here. Then I, God says, have made a, a, a truth that is, can't be mistaken. Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation and he that believeth shall not make haste. So what we see here is just the fact that they're forced here to make a choice. And what we have to realize is that we too are forced to make a choice. Pastor, I'm not ready to choose. I'm not going to choose you yet. May I, may I suggest to you that you just made a choice when truth is presented a choice to Wait to deliberate, to uh, put off is not a non choice. There's no such thing as a non choice. I'm confronted with fact, with truth. I must make a choice. And that choice is either to accept it or to reject it. We somehow think that if my rejection is softened by I'm not ready yet, or uh, I'm not. I've got to. I've got to think about this a little more. Uh, then, uh, then that means that I haven't really made a decision yet. You may not have made a hardcore decision to reject, but the decision that you made is a decision of rejection. And we, as God's people, have to understand as we go through what we're beginning this year, and uh, and and really a fundamental shift in the emphasis of our church in making disciples going out and finding those who are lost, bringing them to the same knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing them baptized, making a commitment to give their life to Christ, to become a disciple of Jesus. And we have to understand that if we would first make disciples, we must first be disciples. So we have to choose. Every individual has to choose. Will I be a fan of Jesus or will I be a follower of Jesus? Will I simply sit in the grandstand and sing and wave and clap and, uh, and shout hallelujah when it's appropriate when things are going well for my team on the field or am I ready to get on the field? Am I ready to join the battle? Am I ready to become what Jesus would have me to be? Am I ready to do what Jesus would have me do? Am I ready to rise above simply a position in which my sin has been forgiven and then begin to live free in Christ Jesus to serve Him? Every life, may I suggest this morning, serves something. We are not exempt from the service of something. I would go so far to say this morning that every person in this room is a disciple of something. We have chosen to follow and to learn of and to serve something. For some, it may be uh, it may be gadgets and toys. For others, it might be family. For some, it may be a pension and retirement plan. For some, it may be uh, you can we could go on and on. Some serve power. Some are seeking prestige. Some are serving money. Some are serving other lusts. Some are serving knowledge and uh, and the acquisition of it. But what good is acquired knowledge if it's never employed? Some serve career. The reality is, is that what we choose to serve will is the focal point of our life. And I can stand up this morning and say, I have chosen to be a disciple of Jesus. But does the my life bear that out? Is it obvious when I look at my own heart and my own life, the activities that I fill my week with, with the thoughts that permeate my mind, with the decisions and the values that I hold, if that are they are they saying Amen to my claim to be a disciple, or are they rising up and offering? a rebuttal we come and we look and we understand here that we live out what we truly serve our decisions are affected by who we serve our decisions and relationships are affected by whom we serve our future plans are affected by whom uh, our master is we kind of get lost today because of our current modern building techniques and the power of what he's saying here when he's saying that Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. It used to be you could go through and if you go to historical areas of the country, uh, you'll find many times that on the corner of the building will be a stone that has a date imprinted on it because that's the date that the foundation was laid and that stone is the Cornerstone. We don't do that anymore. Most buildings are constructed with uh, monolithic pours of concrete, meaning that it used to be you'd pour all, dig out, and pour all the footers, and then you would come back and pour the other concrete over top of it. Now it's all just one pour. It's just all dug and it's all set up so that it's one uh, continuous slab of concrete, uh, and that's the foundation. If it's off a little bit, then the whole structure is going to be off to the foundation. Uh, but uh, but it, it but it's all one. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be that you had to start with the corner. And the cornerstone of the foundation was of utmost importance because if it wasn't true, if it wasn't level, if it wasn't square, uh, if there was any flaw in it, uh, then everything else in the structure would be flawed. Everything would be off. And the larger the structure, the more out of kilter it would become. And so when he's talking here and he's laying out that he has laid in Zion a foundation stone a tried stone a chief and a precious Cornerstone, a sure foundation. He's saying that it's perfect. It's perfectly placed. It's perfectly, uh, it's perfectly suitable to bear the load and the weight of what's going to be placed upon it. It is perfect to be uh, lined with it. Ha- and it, listen, when it was laid down, everything relied on it. It had to be straight. It had to be level. And I'm just saying this morning that you and I must come to a place when we purposely choose that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our life that we are His follower, that He is our master. And listen, I'm glad this morning that He's my Savior, but my life has value and meaning and purpose and direction and has the potential to have give me fulfillment because He is my master. Amen. I cannot follow the world and find any of that. I may find it temporarily. I may get lost in it from time to time, but the reality is, is that only Jesus will satisfy. The Bible tells us, and we don't have time this morning to look at every text, but uh, there are some here that you could jot down in your notes there. Psalm 118, verses 22 and verse 23. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 10. Luke chapter 20 and verse number 17. Psalm 118 is the prophecy that's given concerning Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those texts are the fulfillment of that prophecy that is given in the New Testament as those Gospels relate the same story here. And they all say this. They say it a little bit slightly differently, but here is the uh, fundamental pattern of the wording in each of those four texts in the Bible. The stone which the builders rejected is the, the same as become the head of the corner. The stone which the builders rejected. He just identified for us who the stone is. He's Jesus. Jesus was despised and rejected of men. Jesus was despised and rejected by his own brethren, his own hometown, those that lived in his own home for a while. He was rejected. So we know that Jesus is this cornerstone. Now I'm going to ask you if you would to, uh, as we move really into the, the body of the message, I want to take just a moment and turn to 1 Peter as we look here at First Peter chapter number two, First Peter chapter two, we're going to look here uh, at the first 10 verses because we see uh, much manifested here of what's given in Isaiah. And if we look in chapter number two, beginning in verse one, and what you're going to see here if you listen closely as I read uh, and, and as you read along, uh, is that the matter of a choice is abundantly clear. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, I have to lay aside the old man in essence. When I come to the place where I'm ready to lay aside who I was, realizing that I need Jesus to make me something new in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, why? That ye may grow thereby. If so, be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And my friend, if you'll just take a little taste of Jesus, you'll find out how gracious he is to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in inside a chief cornerstone Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. You see, if we would reject him, if we would believe and embrace the thinking and the model and the mode of this world, then Jesus Christ becomes a stumbling block to us. But if we accept him for who he is, if we accept him and see him for whom God said that he is, then he brings us to our to a point of salvation. Verse number nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And praise be to God that we have obtained mercy today. I want you to see three primary things about this. First of all, consider the purpose of the cornerstone. What is the purpose of this cornerstone? He is a sure foundation. He has made for us a foundation, a starting point. A starting point that is tried and true. A starting point. He began the foundation. If you're keeping notes this morning, you see that the purpose primarily of him being our cornerstone is that he has put in place the beginning of the foundation. When I trusted him as my savior, he is the beginning point of everything else in my life that everything is built from there. Listen, my, my marriage is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. My Christian life is built on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. My parenting has been built on, uh, on the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. My grandparenting, my pastoring, uh, my, uh, my making of friends, uh, my serving of God. Everything must be founded upon Jesus Christ. He is the beginning of the foundation. He has broken sin's power and a new life has begun in everyone's heart who will accept him as their savior. We see secondly that it served as a guide for other stones. That's, that, that's, that foundation stone began and was the guide and, uh, in verse 12 of, of 1 Peter chapter 2 he said this having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you evildoers, they may be your good works uh, that they may be by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Come to the point where uh, serving as a guide for the other stones, he lays everything off. That that building must be uh, square. It must be perfect. <coughs> you can see that whenever you have greater distances. If you uh, if you ever go and. I've ever learned to shoot, you would go out and you understand uh, that if your aim is off just maybe uh, even just a, an eighth or a quarter of an inch, uh, if you are shooting uh, several hundred yards, by the time you get out, you're not even going to hit the target. If you're on the firing line, I remember being in the military and being on the firing line and shooting at targets that were five and eight hundred yards off uh, without, without a scope just with an open sight with an M16A2 uh, and firing down the line at that 800 meter mark uh, and if you were off just a bit you didn't even hit the target. You'd watch and they'd run that target up with a little spotter on it so that you could see. Sometimes you'd have to look with binoculars to see if you could find anything uh, and they'd run that target up and, and you'd see the, just the disappointment of there not even being any marker on the target. And it's easy from that distance to shoot a, the wrong target. What you understand is that whenever something is off in the beginning, the farther down the road you go, the greater the distance, the more time, the farther off it's going to be. Why is it so important, Pastor, that we grasp foundations in Sunday school, that we all get on the same page here? Because if we don't understand the basic fundamentals of our faith, then we are going to be susceptible to being misled years down the road. I have found this in pastoring that the things that we sometimes have just made uh, kind of kind of made so simple in our initial teaching of them that whenever we begin to teach the deeper theological truth of it, then it because those that have been saved a long time but have never been properly taught, it becomes really difficult for them to embrace, embrace that Bible truth. Why? Because it's different than what they were taught when they first got saved. And what we're taught when we first become believers is of vital importance. But it's also important to know matter how long we've been saved that we keep our hearts and our minds open and we get over the thing that we're, th- we're thinking that, hey, uh, I've heard that before. I've learned that before. I know all there is to know about that. I don't, I don't need to sit through all, all this basic elementary stuff, Pastor, because uh, I've already know. I've been taught that. I've taught other people that for years. Number one, it's a good thing to be reminded, and you might just find out that, you're, that you've drifted a little bit in some things that are pretty important, or that you were never properly taught them in the first place. We need to understand that He serves as a guide in our life. Jesus is our guide. And when we allow man's philosophy and the world's philosophy to be our guiding light, we are in trouble. The purpose of the cornerstone is to begin the foundation and to serve as the guide for every other stone that comes into play in our life. Secondly, this morning, we see the perfection of the cornerstone. This, the cornerstone in Jesus is perfect. In Isaiah 28 and 16, he tells us three things about it. First, he said it's a tried stone. He's been put through the test. He's been put through the fire. He's been to Calvary's cross. He's been scourged. He's had the crown of thorns implanted upon his head. He's, he's been ridiculed and belittled. He's had those stand up in opposition publicly against him. He uh, has uh, succumbed to or given his life rather as a gift for payment for our sin on Calvary's cross. And then he conquered it and rose from the grave. He is a tried stone. See, whenever we get someplace that comes through and, uh, you know, maybe we get a a brand new Christian and you see it in every area of life. Maybe it's your your favorite ball team. They get that new rookie that's going to come in and save the world. Right. But you really don't know what you've got until they get on the field. You may know what you evaluate, you may know what you can see as the potential, but you may uh, come to see, uh, but you just never know. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. We trust Jesus as our Savior. We begin to learn truths about Him, but we never really know how we're going to respond and how we're going to react to the tests of this world and this life. To, the, to, to enduring uh, the curse of sin that's upon the earth in which we live and how it impacts our life. We never truly know how we're going to respond to it until we actually have to respond to it. There's a Christian pastor that was just beheaded in the Middle East in the last week or so. I wonder how many of us, if we were confronted with a choice of taking a stand for Jesus or having them literally saw our head from our body. You, know, you have to think about things like that, and I'm not trying to be grotesque this morning, but the reality is is that for most of us, we live so far away from that world in the United States that it's hard for us to even imagine that things like that go on. <coughs> the reality is they used to, in the old days, I would think about beheadings, and I would think at least they used like a really sharp, sharp sword or a guillotine, and they did it really fast. They don't do that today in the Middle East. It's a slow, brutal process. If I had to make that choice, Jesus, it's either you or my life. What would I choose? (laughs) Watch the video of a young girl about a year or so ago who was just simply walking through the city streets who had trusted Jesus as her Savior and the people in her town didn't like it and they beat her down in the middle of the street, poured gasoline on her and lit her on fire and burned her alive. That didn't happen a thousand years ago. That didn't happen 400 years ago. That happened in the last year or two. I'm just telling you this morning that we are so insulated from having our faith truly tried that we may think that we know how we would respond, but the reality is is that we'll never really know until we have to make a decision. And I want to know if I ever have to face a moment like that, that I'm awful close to my Savior so that I can make the have a hope of making the right one. Am I clinging to that stone? Listen, that stone is tried. Those people that gave their life being burned at the stake four or five hundred years ago, they were tried in the fire we have today. Our Bibles, we have today our faith in Christ because some were willing to make the sacrifice. And I would say this morning that Jesus showed the way when it came to making the sacrifice. He was the example in making the sacrifice. And because of that, not only is he a tried stone, but he is a precious stone. He should be precious to us. Precious because... He gave everything for us, precious because He shed His blood for us, precious because He has endured the, uh, the, the the treachery of Satan and He has conquered it. He's precious because He did not just endure that and leave us to kind of flounder and find our way, but He came and found us and He drew us to Himself and He saved our souls. Not only do we see that the perfection of that cornerstone is a tried stone and a precious stone, but we see that He's also a sure stone. Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning in verse number 19, what we see here is, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Listen, we are to come together. We are to be built together. We are to be laboring and striving together for the cause of Christ. Why? Because that stone, that foundation stone, that chief stone has been tried and it's precious. And thirdly, I would say it's true. It is a sure stone. There's no doubt about who he is. There's no doubt about the power that he has. There's no doubt about the the mandate that he's given to his people. There's no mandate about the grace that he will bestow. There's no mandate about about whether he'll ever change. All of those things are fixed in eternity. They will never change. He is who he says that he is, and he will do what he says that will be done. And he is the one that will walk with us through the fire, and he is the one that will give us the grace that we need to embrace every difficulty that life throws our way. Why? Because he is in our cornerstone, a cornerstone of perfection. He has no chips, he has no flaws, he has no cracks, he has no weaknesses. He is perfection because He is God. We see this morning the purpose of the cornerstone. We see the perfection of the cornerstone. Consider with me, lastly, the power of the cornerstone. We talk about the power of the cornerstone, and we certainly could, could for weeks preach about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's just think about the power of that cornerstone for a moment. Two things that we see that because the stone has been tried and because the stone is precious and because the stone is sure, there are a couple of things that are undeniable about that stone. First, I would say this, that that stone has the power of support. Jesus supports you. He saved your soul. He's given us a mandate. He's called us to go out and reach others with the gospel. And it may be, uh, that it, it's as, it's as direct as, uh, knocking on someone's door at times and confronting them with the gospel or as indirect as just casual comment to someone that you interact with at, uh, at a, pl- at a place of business. Maybe a waiter or waitress at your table or, uh, or, Uh, someone that waits on you or helps you check out at a store uh, and just a kind word and just a moment of interaction. You don't know how God will use that to open doors and to reach out. What I'm saying is, is that when I understand that Jesus Christ is my master, that he is the cornerstone of my life, and I make a conscious decision that I am not simply going to take salvation from him, but I am going to let him become the master of my life. And I will choose to be his disciple that in that moment. He becomes that foundation stone. Everything in my life is built upon him. Everything in my life is based upon his values, his principles, his priorities, his desires, his commands. I, what I am, what I do, who I become is determined not by my own desires or not by the influences of this world, but by the power of the Holy Spirit of God guiding and directing my life within me. And when we see that stone that has been laid, when the foundation is put in place, that we see that it has the power of support. He bears the weight of my life. He bears the burdens of my life. He bears the weight of the whole structure, bears the weight of the every every fabric of who I become and what I am. We see not only is he the power, have the power of support, but he has the power of influence. The position of every other stone in my life is dictated by the positioning of the cornerstone. It's influence. You've heard me say a hundred times. If you've heard me say once in the last several years, that one of the most important decisions that you make in your life is who you allow to influence you. you know who we need is our greatest influencer, that chief cornerstone. Let him influence you. Let His Word guide me. Let His Word direct my path. Let the Holy Spirit of God uh, have free reign in my heart as He leads and He guides and He convicts and He compels me to become what Jesus would have me to become. The purpose of the cornerstone is to start, begin the foundation, to be a guide for the other stones. The perfection of the cornerstone is that it's been tried and it's precious and it's sure. It's dependable can always count on Jesus. The power of that stone is that it supports and gives me everything that I need in life and it influences everything in, that, that's developed in the future in what I become. I'm saying this morning as we close that the cornerstone of your life will determine the outcome of your life. You have a cornerstone. When Jesus came into your life, then he wanted to tear down the old building and start building a new one. We want to put the rest and die, kill, slay the old man. Stop building that old building and start building a new one with a new foundation. The cornerstone of your life will determine the outcome of your life. And the farther down life's path that you travel, the greater the impact. Who's impacting your life this morning? As we look at this, as we consider this truth this morning, and the truth is is this is very simple this morning. We've talked about what a disciple is. We've seen how Jesus called them. We've seen the character traits that make up the life of a disciple. The question this morning is, will I choose to become one? But do not make the choice of, yes, I will be a disciple of Jesus, or no, I'm not ready, or I will not be a disciple of Jesus without understanding this fact that you are a disciple of someone. You are a disciple of something. Who will I choose, Pastor? How do I how do I know what I, who I'm a disciple of? Just look at your life. Consider, evaluate your values. Do they line up with His? Evaluate your priorities. Do they line up with His? Am I obedient to my own desire? Am I am I obedient to, am I obedient to the 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 agenda of the world around me, or am I obedient to the Word of God? Who's my guiding light? Who is forming and shaping everything that I'm becoming? Is it Jesus? If I choose him, I promise you he's already chosen you. He gave himself for you. Pastor, I'm here this morning. I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Well, I'm glad that you're here then because Jesus said that he wrote the Bible. These things that are written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. He doesn't doesn't want you to wonder. He doesn't want anybody in in this world to go through life wondering where they're going to spend eternity. He doesn't want anybody coming to the end of their life and stumbling into hell, not realizing that there was a way out. And if we're searching and we're looking, he draws us to himself. If we as God's people are lifting him up, he will draw all men unto himself. I have to understand this morning, I have to make a simple decision. Will I allow Jesus to be the cornerstone of my life? Will I make Him not just my Savior, but my Master? Will I submit my will to His will for me? Will I serve Him? Will I learn of Him? See, a lot of times we get to thinking that You know, being a disciple, oh I get it, I can just come and I can learn more about Jesus. That's wonderful. You can't be a disciple and not learn more about Jesus, but you can learn a lot about him and not be his disciple. I I would dare say that Satan knows a whole lot more about Jesus than most Christians ever will. This side of this side of heaven. But he's not his disciple. You see, just acquiring information doesn't make me a disciple. Acquiring information does not make me a Christian. I have to act upon the information that I have. See, I can know that I'm a sinner, and I can know that Jesus died for me, and I can know that my sins been paid for, but if I will not repent of my sin and turn to Him in faith, receiving the gift of salvation, then I am no Christian, and I will spend an eternity separated from God in an eternal lake of fire. Not because I was good or bad, but because I rejected the gift. And just because I've accepted the gift doesn't make me a disciple. A true disciple learns and then lives. A true disciple becomes a version of his master. Will I choose this morning to go through life as I always have? Or will I choose this morning to allow Jesus to make me a version of himself?